Lord, we are now before your word. And as always, Father, you have made us yours through your word. That you prune us and you sanctify us through your word. You unite us with your word. You free us with your word. You give us hope in the darkest times through your word. Father, we pray that may these words be sown in the right places. May these words, Father, sink deeply down within our souls. May it be convincing to our minds. May it stir our emotions by by revealing you to us. Father, we pray for your leadership. We pray for your guidance. All this in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. We are truly living in unprecedented times. Never seen anything like it. I'm almost 50 years old, and I've never seen anything like it. I thought my, my parents um, were, you know, they suffered through the, the Korean War. I think my dad was 10, my mom was 7 when the Korean War happened. And my dad went through Vietnam. So he had major, you know, you know, life events, tragedy events. And I thought I was going to be spared of such things. I'm the child of the 70s and 80s, right? I thought, you know, we're good. No, no problems here, no major world war, no major catastrophic events. But man, this kind of punched me in the gut a little bit. The fact that schools are closed for three weeks. I've never had close, like close for three weeks when I was a kid. Um, I've never seen like streets empty, people freaking out. I've never seen, you know, the president of the United States banning travel from Europe. Other countries, yeah, I understand, right? It's him, right? But Europe, those are his favorite people, you know? What's going on here? Clearly unprecedented. I've never expected in a million years that I would be preaching in front of a camera. I had no dreams of being a you know, televangelist, so I thought, you know, I was never going to preach in front of a camera, but here we are. What do we do? It's quite scary. CNN, every five minutes, do that you know, coronavirus infection map of the U.S., and the only place evidently that's safe now is North Dakota. It's crazy. What's going on? How are we to live in such, un- such times where we haven't felt anything about it? Then again, people in this room, they don't seem to be too nervous. I guess you're all afraid. Yeah, there we go. But so what do we do? What do we do? We are called. We are called. Christians are called. And in such times, not to lose our heads, but to be reasonable. Christians are called, like in this time, like any other time, to dwell in reality. The world is at panic with these things. Right? The world, the entire world is at panic with these things. But Christians, we are called to be level-headed by thinking about the reality of things. What is the reality of things for a Christian? The reality of the things for a Christian is that God is king 
and that our citizenship belongs in his kingdom. The way we become sane in such times is to remember the reality of all realities, is that Jesus Christ is king, and that we are the citizens of his kingdom. We don't belong to the kingdom of this world. We belong to the kingdom of God. C.S. Lewis, right, the great Christian writer, during his, when he was an adult in the 1940s, the great scare, the great threat of the world was the atomic bomb. And people were freaked out about the atomic bomb. They thought it was going to be the end of the world. People saw what the U.S. did to Japan, right? And the world was nervous that one country has a power to demolish a nation. And people were worried about the atomic bomb. What was C.S. Lewis's response to the world who was freaking out about the atomic bomb? He says, in one way, we think a great deal too much about the atomic bomb. And then how are we to live in atomic age, people ask. I am tempted to reply, why, as you would have lived in, in the 16th century when the plague visited London almost every year, or as you have lived in the, in the Viking age when raiders from Scandinavia might land and cut your throat any, at, at any night, or indeed, as you're already living in an age of cancer, or an age of syphilis, or the age of paralysis, an age of air raids, an age of rail, railway accidents, an age of mortar accidents. Lewis is saying, whether it is the atomic bomb age or the coronavirus age, every age had catastrophic events. Every, in every age, people die. People died before the coronavirus. People will die after the coronavirus. He says, do not be so obsessed about the latest fear. Because whether it is the atomic bomb age or the age of coronavirus, nothing has really changed. All of us are perishing. And he reminds us, even in this perishing age, and it's supposed to be a perishing age because the world has fallen, we remember the sovereignty of God. We remember our King. Christians, we, we worship the King. The reason why we are worshiping Christ on a Sunday, the first day of the week, is because Jesus has rose on the first day of the week. Christians celebrate. The fact that we're gathering together on Sunday is a testament of the fact that we are celebrating the king who has rose from the dead. And this king is alive, and this king is real, and this king rules all things, and his kingdom is eternal. The world may freak out about the coronavirus because the world is all they have. To us, we have much more. Um, I'm supposed to like the Chronicles of Narnia because I'm a Christian, but I don't. <laughs> I'm supposed to like it because it's a Christian allegory written by C.S. Lewis, but I, really, I, think, I find it kind of childish and boring. But do you guys know Chronicles of Narnia, Lion, Witch, and the Wardrobe? But the one thing that I like about that book is that there are these four children 
like who goes into this magical world called Narnia. Narnia is a symbol. Like, Narnia is a symbolism of the new world. And the way these kids enter Narnia is through a little like closet chest, right? It's a small closet chest, and through it you enter Narnia. To the other people in the world, that's just a that's just a wardrobe chest. But to the kids, it is a world. It is opening up a new world. And what I'm saying is this: as wonderful as this world is, as wonderfully designed this world is, to the Christian, it is just a wardrobe chest. Because we belong to a new world. We don't belong to this one. We don't belong to this one that is perishing and that is fading with disease. We belong to the kingdom of God where all things are new. And that's Paul's argument in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 6. He says, And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. What Paul means by in Ephesians 2 is that when we are united in Christ in faith, he has already raised us up, and our place is with him in the heavenly realms. When we are united with Christ, he set a place for us in heaven, in his kingdom. And it is that is where, where our end destiny is, and not here. Therefore, Peter said, we are foreigners in a strange land. We live in this world as nomads, as wanderers, because our eternal home lies within the kingdom, with the king. Christian, how do you keep sane in an insane world? Remember where you're going. Remember where your eternal seat is. And most, most importantly, remember the king. Remember your king who rose from the grave. Remember the king who made all things. Remember the king who controls all things. Remember the king whose who every person's life and death are in his hands. Remember the king in which he will come again and make this world perfect. Remember your king. And that's what Matthew chapter 8 is about. In Matthew chapter 8, we see the disciples going into the boat with Jesus. Verse 23, it says, And he got into the boat, and his disciples followed him. This verse you know, kind of simplifies what a Christian life is. Jesus leads and we follow. That's what the Christian life is. We go where Jesus leads us. Where were the disciples before they got into the boat with Jesus? They were in dry land. Matthew chapter 5, they were listening to Jesus on the Sermon on the Mount. So they were in dry land. They were listening to a sermon, much like you're doing right now. Matthew chapter 8, like they follow Jesus around, and they see Jesus performing many miracles. And Jesus is becoming very popular. Right? It's, it's an exciting time for them, because the, their master was becoming a, a really well-known prophet in the, in the province of Galilee. Right? So it was good. It was comfortable. So they get in the, and so they follow Jesus when he was preaching, they follow Jesus when he was performing miracles, and they follow Jesus inside the boat. But when they got in the boat, 
what happened? Storms came. It says a great storm came. Not a small storm, but a great storm. And the waves were pounding against the little boat. And, the, and, and it, it, it's about to, like, it's about to, you know, they're about to be submerged and go up and submerged and go up. It was chaos. One thing to know. Jesus is king. Jesus is sovereign. And sometimes our king leads us to quiet places. But sometimes our king leads us to storms. Matthew's main point of, the, of, of writing the Matthew, Matthew's main theological purpose of writing the Gospel of Matthew is to convey to us that Jesus is king. The main motif of the Gospel of Matthew is the fact that Jesus is king. How do you know? Let's look at the structure of the Gospel of Matthew. Chapter 1 to chapter 4 is about the arrival of the king. Right? It's about the, it, is about, it starts with the genealogy, right? And the, and, and the genealogy is the genealogy of king. It, it also, is, it, if Matthew, Matthew, uh, Matthew chapter 1, verse 4, also tells us about the, the adoration he received from the wise men. Right? And, it also begin, and it also depicts the beginning of his public ministry. Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7 is the Sermon on the Mount, which describes like, his subjects, how his, the, the people of his kingdom live. And Matthew chapter 8 and Matthew chapter 9 is about the authority of Jesus as king. So what is clearly communicated in the Gospel of Matthew is that Jesus is king. And our king, sometimes, as I said before, leads us to quiet pastures, leads us to quiet waters. But our king, oftentimes, leads us to storms, to great trials. Personal trials, as much as, and as well as global trials, he leads us. But what one thing does not change is that whether it is quiet times or whether it is tumultuous times, Jesus is king. Jesus was king when the, world was, when the world was created. Jesus was king during the Korean War, World War I, World War II. Jesus is king during the economic booms in the 80s and 90s. Jesus is king in the light of the coronavirus. Jesus is king when he, when, he, when he created you. Jesus is king when he, when, he, when, you, when he gave you these blessings in your life that you remember for. And Jesus is king when you're suffering. He's king. We must never forget this. And the question is, why did Jesus lead his disciples into a storm? Make no doubt. Have no doubt. Jesus controls the molecules of, the, of every molecule in existence, which means Jesus created the winds that day and the water that day, and he controlled how the winds blew. He controls the rain. He controls everything. He is, God is the one who controlled the force of the storm that day. The storm was not a fluke. It was designed by God, and he sent the storm to the disciples that day. Why? I don't know. But there's a few, we can, we, can, we can infer a few things. Maybe God sent a storm to disciples that day to remind them 
of their weakness, of their humanity. The thing about human pride is this. When we are prideful, the thing about when we are prideful, what we are prideful of is control. We think we control things. During quiet times, during calm times, we think we are in control. Disciples, when they got into that boat, many of them were fishermen. James and John and Peter, they were all fishermen. They spent their entire adult lives fishing for, like, like ever since they were little kids, they know how to fish. They, ha- they know how to, like, rope, sail a boat. They know how to navigate their boats in treacherous times. They know things. These weren't novices. These were skilled men whose trade was sailing boats. So when Jesus told them, get in the boat, many of them didn't even think nothing of it because they've done it all their lives. But when the storms come, when the winds come, when the waves start crashing the boat, their fishermen skills, their sailing skills cannot save them. That's what makes difficult times so scary because we lose control. There's no solution to the coronavirus right now. Right? There isn't. No one has a solution. No one has a cure. Right? I saw the Korean news channel the other day, and they were all like taking pride in the fact, and maybe rightfully so, that they're the ones with the best detection. Right? That you, could, you, can, you can detect people with the coronavirus like that. We are, we're number one in detecting coronaviruses, and we're number one in, in, like, in we have the lowest fatality, not we, because I'm American, yay, right? Koreans have the number one well, in like, low, they have the lowest fatality rate. And they're all like really proud. You can tell the newscasts are really cr- proud of the fact that we're number one. But still, there's no cure. Even though we're number one in detection, even though we're number one in low mortality rate, there's no cure. Europe is, uh, Europe is, it's, 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 what's, it's in a state of panic. A lot of my clients are stuck in Europe because they can't come in. Paris, in France, they, they closed down all essential, non-essential businesses. Right, so all the restaurants and movie theaters and everything is closed. The only thing that is open is supermarkets and public transportation. That's Paris. And Milan, home of like, world fashion. They, people are not allowed to go out anywhere. Only one member of the family can go out. And everyone has to stay six feet apart. When you go to grocery stores, you have to wait in line, not because there's so many people in the grocery store, but because there are only a few people are allowed in at a time. People are looking at each other suspiciously. What's going on? But there's no cure. There's no solution. That's what's scary. People go, go out right now and buy, you know, there are no toilet papers in Costco, my wife says. People like go and like there's no over a couple of weeks there was no rice in H Mart. How can there be no rice in an Asian store? It's crazy. And psychologists, people are reacting this unreasonably. Yeah, because there's no threat of not having there's no threat of the toilet paper factory closing down. People are reacting unreasonably. 
because they want the sort of sense of control in a world that there is no control. The disciples at that moment, despite the years of fishermen skills and sailing skills, were helpless. They have no control. But I must say, that is the reality of things, right? The illusion is the fact that we think that we're in control. That's the illusion. We are helpless against the forces of nature. We are. There are more diseases that we don't know how to cure than there are the diseases that we know how to cure. We cannot control the forces of nature. We are on its mercy. And yet, because of our scientific discovery and, I don't know, our, our human achievement or whatever, we think that we can overcome all things. That's arrogant, that's hubris, that is pride. God takes us to places where he reveals our humanity, our limitations, our weakness. And that's exactly what the disciples are. They don't know what to do. The only thing they could do is to wake Jesus up and say, save us. We are perishing. When he loves you, he will take you to a place where the only thing that you can say is, save me, I am perishing. If he doesn't love you, he will leave you at your prideful state in which he will, make you, he will still make you think that you are in control of things. If he loves you, he will humble you. Maybe God is allowing coronavirus to happen in the world to humble the proud, to get a sense of reality to those people who think they rule the world. Jesus gets up and he asks his disciples, Why are you afraid, O ye of little faith? What Jesus is saying here is he's making a connection between their fear and their little faith. Jesus is saying the reason why you're afraid is because you have little faith. What is Matthew's definition of faith? Matthew's definition of faith is recognizing Jesus is king. Once again, we believe that the Son of God came into the world to save his people from sin. The Son of God rose from the dead and he reunited his people to himself. He, and he ascended, to the, and he ascended to heaven, and he will come again to, to make this world perfect. We believe in the sovereign king who's alive and who rules all things and who will come again to com complete his rule. Matthew's definition of faith is recognizing that Jesus is king. Little faith it's not recognizing Jesus as king. And when we don't recognize Jesus as king, we're afraid. 
That's what Satan does. That's what the Satan in the world does. You know, what Satan in the world, what they do is they try to minimize Jesus in our, in our minds. Right? They try to give us a bite-sized version of Jesus. You know the bite-sized version of chocolate? They're not the full chocolate. They're little chocolates. The bite-sized version. What is a bite-sized version of Jesus that Satan and the world try to present to us? They think, oh, Jesus is a king. Jesus is your best friend. Jesus is your best friend. He loves you no matter what. He loved you. He's your best friend. He's the only friend you can turn to. Bite-sized version of Jesus is, you know, Jesus has no standard. Jesus doesn't care whether you do right or wrong. He, he agrees with you whatever you do. Bite-sized version of Jesus. Jesus is a therapist. Just pray your needs and he will make it better. Jesus is someone who will make your, th- your dreams happen. These are all bite-sized versions of Jesus. But the problem with the bite-sized version of Jesus is this. When you have a small understanding of Jesus in your mind, that small understanding will, o- will not help you overcome worries. The big understanding of Christ will help you overcome your worries. The disciples were afraid because they did not recognize Jesus as king. What is interesting about the disciples is that right before they got into the boat, they followed Jesus in chapter 8. They followed Jesus and they saw Jesus performing many miracles. Right? He saw Jesus curing a leper. He saw Jesus curing a leper with their eyes. They saw Jesus healing uh, the, Jesus, Peter's mother-in-law. They saw Jesus curing a centurion servant. They saw Jesus driving out demons. They saw Jesus healing many, many people. And the reason why Matthew records all these healings is to convey the point that Jesus is not only metaphysically your king, but Jesus has sovereignty over the physical realities of life. The reason why these miracles are recorded in the Bible is to show us that Jesus is not just a theoretical king, but he is a king who rules over physical realities. That in his kingdom... When his kingdom eventually comes, all the disease and all the sickness and all the, will be wiped away and the demons will be vanquished. He has the authority to control physical things because that's his authority. The disciples, having experienced this authority of Christ with their eyes, when the storms came, didn't remember these things about him. They just saw the waves. They forgot his kingship. They forgot his authority. We worry because we forget about the fact that he's king. Littlest things overwhelm us. Littlest things scare us because we forget that he's still the king over those little things. Jesus is king. He's in control of nature. The winds came, the storm blew. Jesus got up and said, he rebuked the storms, he says. He rebuked it. How did he rebuke? He says, silence. And the wind stopped. And the wave stopped. And the sea became calm again. The one who created all physical realities, the one who controls every molecule, the one who wills all things, who plans all things, 
he rebuked the storm and became silent. Is Jesus his king? Over sickness, over nature. He rules all things. When we understand this, we have the sanity to live like his citizens in this fallen world. What are we to do? How are we to interpret Jesus' sovereignty in the light of the coronavirus? To quote John Piper, how does Jesus' sovereignty relate to the coronavirus? John Piper says, Jesus has all knowledge and all authority over the natural and supernatural forces of this world. He knows exactly where the virus started and where it's going next. He has complete power to restrain it or not. And that's what's happening. Neither sin, nor Satan, nor sickness, or sabotage is stronger than Jesus. He's never backed into a corner. He's never forced to tolerate what he does not will. Piper is saying, who's the one that allowed coronavirus to exist? It is the king. Who is the one who controls where the virus is going next? It is the king. Who is the one that controls the timing of vaccines? It is the king. There's no one who can thwart his purposes. No sin, no diseases can thwart his plan. In the insane world, in the chaotic world, he's still king. And we must understand that. Even if I get the coronavirus, he's still king. Even if I die from that virus, you know, because I'm old and I'm in that age group, he is king. And in him, there's healing. I'm afraid that this is being recorded because I'm going to quote Joel Osteen, and not in a bad way, in a good way. I'm not saying you should go listen to Joel Osteen, but... Like, I finally figure out, I finally found an excerpt that I can use of his sermon. He says, God can heal all diseases. Right? He says, God healed his mama who had stage four cancer. Doctor says, there's no cure, but God supernaturally healed his mama, he says. And she's still alive. His dad, he says, died of a heart attack. And he went to be with the Lord. But he says, I believe God healed my daddy in heaven. So whether he says, whether it is here in the world miraculously, like his mom, or God taking him to heaven and healing him there, God heals all diseases. And I go, good job, Joel Alstein. That's true. The coronavirus will end. Whether it is here or whether it is a new kingdom, it will end. And God will use it according to his purpose. You need to understand that. You need to believe in that. Right now, this society, we're like the disciples in the boat. We're overwhelmed by the forces of this, this virus, and we don't know what to do. 
But Jesus is telling us, I'm still in control. You may suffer now. You may be scary now. But remember, this place is not your eternal home. So don't freak out. Stay calm. You know those t-shirts, stay calm. My office says, stay calm and wash your hands. It's crazy. Stay calm for remembering your king. How should Christians live? Does it mean that, you know, we're, not, we're going to disobey the government's orders and we're going to start going out and shaking people's hands and, you know, live irresponsibly? No, of course not. Like today, as right before worship, I, was, I wanted water, and someone said, you should drink fountain water. And I said, not in, the event of, not in the days of coronavirus, I won't. I think that's just good responsibility. What do we do in the light of the coronavirus? We do the same thing that God has called us to. We follow the king. We follow the king, and we imitate him. We imitate his kindness and grace and love to the people around us. And the people around us, like people are in selfish mode right now, right? People are just in selfish mode. People want to stockpile things for themselves and for their kids and all that stuff. And people are just unusually on guard and stuff. But Christians in, in such times are called to be charitable and gracious and service-oriented just like Christ is to us. One of the ways that the Christian Christianity, Christian faith grew in the, in, 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 in the, in the Roman Empire, that we were being, Christians were being persecuted, Christians are, were, were, were slandered for being, you know, incestuous cannibals, right? right? Like we marry our brothers and sisters, they say, and we, we eat the body of Jesus. So they were like, we were being persecuted and slandered. But despite the slanders and the persecution, the reason why the Christian Christian, Christianity grew is that the Christian love during the time of severe hardship. And the example of this is in the Roman Empire in AD 249 to AD 262, right? That's like, what, 13 years? Western civilization was devastated by one of the deadliest pandemics in history. Though the exact cause of the plague is uncertain, the city of Rome was said to have lost an estimate of 5,000 people a day at the height of his outbreak. So during those times, AD, AD 249 to AD 262, there was a pandemic worse than the coronavirus released in the city of Rome, where at its height, 5,000 people died in a day. Rome is closing, what? Because, like, what, 20,000 people have it? And so, how do the people in the city react? The non-Christians, what they did was self-preservation mode. If, you, if they found a family member who think they have symptoms, they would kick that family member out of the house and let them die on the streets. They were stockpiling you know, food for themselves. It's every man, woman, and child for themselves. But not the Christian. What do the Christians do? Most of our brother Christians showed unfounded love and loyalty, never sparing themselves and thinking only of one another. Heedless of danger, they took charge of the sick, attended to their needs, ministered to them in Christ Jesus. 
in this time of uncertainty, it is our Lord, the King, caused you to follow him in service and charity to the people around you. Just don't stockpile things for yourselves. Be mindful of the suffering of people around you. What else is the king called you to do? The king who is in control of all things is telling you to be faithful to your church, to be faithful to him by being faithful to the church. I know because a lot of the things that we do are closed. We want to take a break from the church. But that's not to be. Remember your brothers and sisters in Christ. Remember to love them. Remember to fellowship with them. Remember to, you know, remember to serve them. I know it's, it's easy to say, well, I'm not going to show up for church for another month or so. And, and just kind of ignore your brothers and sisters. Don't do that. Maybe meet online like this. Maybe use Google Hangouts or Duo or whatever technology that I have no idea how to use. But don't neglect to meet with one another. Don't neglect to worship together in this format. Be faithful to the king. Remember his sovereignty. And be faithful to him. That's our call. Let us pray. Father, we know that you control all things. We know in our heads that you control all things. But our emotions often testify to something else. Father, we are called to live by faith and not by sight. The faith, Lord, is to trust and rely on the king who controls all things. Sight is to be controlled by what we see, what we hear. In the season of pandemics, Lord, we are not called to be people of sight, but a people of faith. You are king, whether this world, when, the, when this world was born, you are king. When this world will end, you will be king. From the smallest particle in existence to the expanse of the universe, you rule and you reign. And we are called to look at that and live our lives based on that truth. You were king when the disciples followed you in, on land, and you were king during that storm. You are a king, whether we meet together on Sundays to worship together, or you are a king when we are at home because of this virus. You are king before the coronavirus, and you are king after the coronavirus. You are a king. And may we know this, may we be persuaded by this. Also, Lord, lead us into service and kindness to one another. May this opportunity be an opportunity where we live differently than the unbelieving world. The unbelieving world is all about self-preservation. But may we be about service 
about following our King in love and charity. Father, keep us healthy and safe under your will. But may us keep us bold under you. May we not be scared, may we not freak out. May we be bold by, by knowing that you are our King. All these things. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.